In the Bible, these are the words of the Lord from the book of Genesis. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. When I read this passage of Scripture tonight, Genesis 1-1 and verse 26 and 27, there are two things that really stand out to me. If you want to fill this out on your outline, and by the way, this outline is available in our church app. You can download that and follow along or at our church website, either one. Everyone matters. Everyone matters. God created people in his image. So it's, it's important that we understand that every human being matters whether they're born or unborn, whether they're young or whether they're old, whatever their color, ethnicity, everyone matters. And the second thing that we see from this and that we, we draw is that human beings were created to reveal what God is like and to steward what God has made. We were made in the image of God. We were made to reveal God. We were made to be like God. Not, we're not made to be God, but we were made to be like God. We were made to act like God. Now think about that for just a moment. You know, we're, we're inter- we always are comfortable with saying act like Christ. What would Jesus do? Act like Christ. But when you really study Genesis, and if those of you that went through the whole study of Genesis with me, you'll remember this. We're created to image God, but we're also created to act like God. So that means that we're to take care of everything that God has made. That's what that whole stewardship and what some call the dominion passage, that God gave us dominion over all things. It means that God created us to not only take care of it, but to make something out of what he created to actually build something and make something and see it become useful and productive and enjoy it. And here's the other thing that I take from these two things, and that is this. We're to do it in relationship with God, and we're to do it in relationship with one another. That's the reason there's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. There's the reason there's no such thing as the unichristian. You remember the Unabomber way back when that was destroying people and destroying things? You know, people who try to do the Christian life without doing it in community have missed the whole purpose of what God has created us to do. And I know there may be occasions and places in the world where The only person in a village or a tribe or a community or a household might be a Christian, and you feel like the Lone Ranger Christian. I understand that, but my prayer is that God will help you find a community of faith. The whole context of us doing this in relationship with God and in relationship with each other, the whole context of this is that God would be glorified. Now, this is hugely important because everything I'm going to talk about tonight on how we bless our community it, it comes from these headwaters that I just shared with you. We were created in the image of God to reflect God in his creation, and we were to steward everything God's created because we do it together, we do it with God, and because everyone and everything matters in God's eyes. The very character and the foundation and the ethics that the church teaches. A few years ago, and on several occasions, I've been asked to help with the formulation of ministerial curriculum or ministerial 
uh, studies to help in a university. I sat on the board of one university and to help with some others. And one of the things that I have always insisted on, we need classes in Christian ethics. We need classes that help us to understand not situational ethics, but help us to understand what is the biblical ethic for which we live our life. And so when we say that we are called to love one another, we're called to serve one another, that comes out of the headwaters of who God is and what he's created and made us to do. So we love because, listen, this is hugely important. We love because God is love. We are merciful because God is merciful. We are kind because God is kind. We are forgiving because God is forgiving. We are generous because God is generous. We live holy lives to the best of our abilities with the help of the Holy Spirit because God is holy. Can you imagine how impoverished our world would be if there was no love? If there was no love in marriage, in families, in churches, in businesses? Can you imagine what evangelism would be like without the love of God? It would be the religion that would kill everybody else that didn't agree with us. It would be the religion that tried to dominate everybody else. And too often, nobody is telling some of the stories of the real heroes of the church, like William Wilberforce, who took on an entire British empire to see slavery become illegal. Nobody tells the story anymore of the Salvation Army and why and how they got started. Nobody really talks about a contemporary story in my lifetime of David Wilkerson and why and how he went to New York City and ministered to the gangs of New York City and saw so many come to Jesus Christ. Not many have had the experience of being able to sit and spend time with someone like Nikki Cruz that David led to the Lord and discipled. And I was able to spend a week with Nikki and we were we're together 24 hours a day almost, just traveling together because and learning how God reached through David and through others like David, the gangs of New York. Nobody in our world really talks about this like they should anymore. It's why the world has gotten away with so much of social engineering and the phrase called social justice today. I'm not going to speak to politics and I'm not going to speak to policy tonight. But what I am going to speak to, if we want to bless our community, is what does the Bible have to say about social justice? I'm not speaking of the current political fight over what social justice is. I'm not speaking to or thinking about even the current fight over policy and budgets. But as a man of God and as a preacher of the word of God, it's my responsibility to talk to you and to any who would listen, whether it's a politician or a policymaker, and to tell them what the Bible says and how we're informed about issues of social justice. Look with me, if you would, tonight at Psalms 147 and verse 9. Sing out your thanks to the Lord. Sing praises to our God with a harp. He covers the heavens with clouds, provides rain for the earth, and makes the grass grow in mountain pastures. He gives food to the wild animal and feeds the young ravens when they cry. I watched a special the other night on how the states in the southwest and California are fighting over the dwindling resources of the Colorado River as the population of the southwest 
and the agriculture of the Southwest continues to grow and how it not only feeds much of our nation, but feeds much of the world. We see here God's intense love and intense care, not only for people, but for creation. So creation care matters to us as followers of Jesus Christ. So what does the Bible say about social justice? First of all, there's a problem. And we're going to look at that problem. In Isaiah 58, most of you are familiar with Isaiah 58. It's a passage that we use a lot here when we do our annual fast, when, during the 40 days before Easter. The Bible says, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Now, notice what this says. Don't talk with a soft voice. Don't be gentle about this. Shout to the Lord. In other words, raise your voice. There is a problem. You got to get people's attention. And I didn't mean to, but there were quite a few of those here tonight that just jumped when I shouted for a little bit. You see, the book of Isaiah was written somewhere between 700 and 800 years before Jesus lived. And yet, Jesus preached from this book so, so much. And if Jesus preached from it so much, and some theologians refer to Isaiah as the gospel in a nutshell, we really should pay attention to Isaiah 58, especially where he tells the prophet, I want you to shout with this message, this challenging message to my people. You see, Israel had become divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. God had already judged the northern kingdom, Israel, at that time. He had judged them and carried them off into exile. Why? Because they had broken their fundamental agreement with God and they were no longer keeping his commandments. They were worshiping idols. They were killing their babies and their children. They were practicing infanticide as they offered these babies to their idols. They didn't care for people. They didn't love people the way God called them to do. So Isaiah spoke, so God spoke to Isaiah the prophet to preach to Judah, to raise his voice, because they were beginning to do the same things. You see, the job of a preacher, the job of a preacher is to preach the word prophetically, not predict the future, but to preach faithfully what God has said. To say, turn back Judah, Isaiah was saying, turn back Judah from doing the things that Israel was doing, lest something even worse is going to happen to you. As a preacher of righteousness, as a preacher of God's word, it's my calling as well to preach that word to our culture today. There are many that call themselves preachers, and I'm not trying to be the critic or the judge of other people, but there are many calling themselves preachers. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They use the right words. They use the right symbols. They say the right phraseology, but they're leading people to adopt the same values in the culture of the world that is abusing people, that is offering our babies up to, 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 to whatever sacrifices is necessary for us to get ahead, whether it's abortion or farming out our children to other people. You see, if this matters in the Bible, it matters in my preaching. I want to be faithful to the whole counsel of God. I belong to a denomination that when I was younger, they used to say all the time, all the gospel, all the gospel for all the world. Well, if I'm going to be faithful to all the gospel, then I not only have to preach about these things that really matter of how we treat one another and treat our creation, but I need to talk about 
the consequences of not doing it and the blessings of obeying God. The consequences and the blessings. So tonight, as I said for just a moment ago, I don't want to talk about politics or policy. But listen, those of you that are watching online right now, there's a little banner putting my points and scriptures up on the screen for you. I think what God is doing tonight in this service, and I've been so excited about it, God is putting on the screen of our hearts and our minds what's on the screen of his heart and mind tonight as we talk about this subject. You see, God tells them what the problem is, and then God gives them instructions. In other words, he tells them what to do. Look at this passage with me tonight, if you would. Again, this is from Isaiah 58. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Now, he's, already, he's commended them for their spiritual disciplines. He's commended them for their corporate worship. But he said, your hearts are really far from me. You're doing all the right things, but your hearts are far, far from me. They fasted. They observed faithfully the annual Day of Atonement fast. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind the people. I love the way the King James Version says that. You know, break the chains and remove the yokes. That's what I want God to do. Share your food with the hungry. Give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come down and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression and stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then... Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. You see, we forget sometimes, because I hear people say this all the time, all the Old Testament is so discouraging. It's not. It's full of challenges. I will grant you that. It's full of challenges, but it's also full of blessings. Here are five things that God wants us to address from this passage of Scripture I just read you. Number one, He wants us to address the problem of bondage and oppression by working for deliverance. He wants us to address that. Think of the people today who are held in sexual slavery. We read about it in our community all the time. This week, Facebook was called on the carpet because with all their so-called policing of sites, especially a political speech here in America that is conservative, They were caught hosting pages in the Middle East and in Africa and Asia where maids, quote, are being sold and trafficked on the Internet. And now this is something they're having to address. That needs to matter to us. But I'm here to tell you that here in Michigan, it's not just a problem in the Middle East or Asia. It's not just a problem in Latin America. It's a problem right here in our own community as well. It's why we want to help this battered women's shelter tonight in our offering. Another thing God wants us to address is food. God says, I want you to address this issue of people having enough to eat. Why do children in our community not have enough to eat? And you say, well, we have government resources, and yet we all know some who have worked in retail here, people who are irresponsible to how they take care of their children using their 
whatever they get for food to buy drugs or anything else. We've actually went and picked up children that their drug-addicted mother or drug-addicted father kicked out because they, could, they didn't want to feed them any longer. There's nothing that will break your heart quicker. There's a need for shelter. There's a need that we would respond. How can we help people have a safe place to live for clothing and for respect? I love that fact that God's word says, stop pointing your finger at other people whose lives are broken and spreading vicious rumors and faulting them. When a child grows up in violence, that's all they know. When a child grows up with neglect, that's all they know. Now, how do we do that? I want to read to you from a book that's been very life-shaping for me. Some of our staff members in times past have come and gotten it off my shelf and asked if they could read it. I looked for it today and couldn't find it. It's around here somewhere or else at somebody's house. And I'll just go ahead and say this. Someone that will not return a book is worse than an infidel. So... The cross is a revelation of God's justice as well as of his love. That's why the community of the cross shouldn't concern itself with social justice. Excuse me. That's why the community of the cross should concern itself with social justice as well as loving philanthropy. Now, this book was written in 1986, 35 years ago, before social justice became the word that's tossed around right now. So I was a young pastor at that time. I'll let you do the math on that later. It's never enough to have pity on the victims of injustice if we do nothing to change the unjust situation itself. Good Samaritans will always be needed to succor, or to not to succor as we would use the word, but to comfort, to help those who are assaulted and robbed, yet it would be even better to, to rid the Jerusalem-Jericho Road of brigands. I'm so thankful for the police officers and detectives that worship with us here at Woodland. Just so Christian philanthropy in terms of relief and aid is necessary, but long-term development is better. And we cannot evade our political responsibility to share in, the change, in changing the structures which inhibit development. Christians cannot regard with equanimity the injustices which spoil God's world and demean his creatures. Injustice must bring pain to the God whose justice flared brightly at the cross. And it should be bring pain to God's people too. Underline that in your outlines tonight. It should bring pain to God's people too. Contemporary injustices take many forms. They are international, the invasion and annexation of foreign territory, Political, the subjugation of minorities. Legal, the punishment of untried and unsentenced citizens. Racial, the humiliating discrimination against people on the ground of race or color. Economic, the toleration of the gross north-south inequality uh, and of the traumas of poverty and employment. In this case, it's talking about the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere. Sexual, the oppression of women. Educational, the denial of equal opportunity for all. Or religious, the failure to take the gospel to the nations. In other words, it's not enough to feed somebody without telling them the good news that can change your life eternally. Love and justice combine to oppose all these situations. If we love people, we shall be concerned to secure their basic rights as human beings, which is also the concern of justice. The community of the cross or the church 
which has truly absorbed the message of the cross, will always be motivated to action by the demands of justice and love. I told you a few minutes ago, we don't tell the stories like we should enough about William Wilberforce or Dave Workerson. Let me tell you a modern-day story right out of our church. A lady in our congregation leads a ministry that feeds the homeless and cares about the homeless in downtown Detroit. And even when her husband, who's been sick for almost a year and a half now, unresponsive, she still, she works to provide for her and her daughter. She works faithfully. She, 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 she's not allowed into the unit that he's in because of the COVID crisis. She faithfully video chats and prays with him every day. But she continues to faithfully lead this ministry. Her heart grieves. Her heart's heavy with her own brokenness and needs. We pray together weekly. And yet, she continues to reach out to those that are helpless and hopeless to minister to them. At times, her family has contacted me because of their concerns for her well-being, her welfare, and all that she does. But she's motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ and his cross. You see, as Christians, if we've truly absorbed the message of the cross of Jesus Christ, it's not just about our personal prosperity, and it's not just about our personal comfort, and it's not just about our personal security. God wills those things for all of us, but it's about the eternal security, the comfort, and the welfare of those who live in the world about us and the creation that we share together. It's how we image who God is and who God's love is. So my prayer has always been, how do I help people apply scriptural convictions in our daily practices? Well, let me show you just a few of those. Remember, everyone matters. Each of us are called to reveal what is God is like. And there are two questions that I know those of you can answer here tonight. Everyone who walks through the doors of this church, whether they're a Christian or not a Christian, they've got two questions written on their forehead. If you remember the answer, say it with me. Will you love me and will you accept me? Very good. So what are some things that in this world that I know I can address from the Bible faithfully, and I won't take time for each of them, but let me just list out some for you. Sanctity of life. The baby in the womb matters. God says he was there with us while we were being shaped in our mother's womb. We can never call that acceptable unless we have to make a choice between saving the life of a, of a mother and a child. And yet every woman I've ever talked to said, choose my baby rather than me. And I've had to walk through some of those painful things with couples during my ministry. Second thing we need to be concerned about is food security. And I wasn't really sure how to write this. I didn't want to write food shortage. We live in the United States of America. I'm speaking primarily to those of us in America. And yet, my wife talked with someone yesterday from one of our local grocery stores, and they're having problems getting food to the stores right now. It's not that the food, and remember when toilet paper, you couldn't hardly find toilet paper during the height of COVID. It's not that it's not there. It's just we don't have enough drivers and shipments to get the meat and the supplies that we need. And so some people are tempted to hoard. I remember during that time, my wife would go buy toilet paper before she'd get home. Somebody would call and need toilet paper. She'd run toilet paper to them or she'd buy food. And so one time I had to say to her, I said, Becky, it's 
fine. You do what you need to do. If we have to live like the widow who's, you know, was eating from the mill barrel that never ran dry, we'll do that. But God was faithful. We can't live in fear and start hoarding. We have to learn to share with those who don't have. Access to healthcare matters. And I'm not talking about a political or policy issue here. But when you've done what I've done and you've had to get people emergency health care and you've seen hospitals turn them down, you've seen doctors turn them down because they don't have insurance and they're, they're going to die without it, you work until you find something to get done for them. You see, these are things that is the church, they should matter to us. How politicians and policymakers make this happen that is their job, but it needs to be addressed by us as Christians in a biblical manner. We need a voice in this. We don't need to just sit quietly and say, well, that's the politician's job. It's the policymaker's job. They don't have any more common sense than what you have. I'm not saying that insulting. They may know much more data. They may have better education and better networks. But when it comes to common sense, we know that we cannot neglect and abandon the sick. Jesus didn't, and the early church did, and we can't either. Fair wages. I don't know that this was really a big issue for me until I moved to Detroit. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, I'm living in a union town. I'm living where people are part of unions and work for unions. I'm living with people and doing life, not only with union workers, but people who own small businesses and learning from both sides. And somehow or another, they have to talk without fighting. They have to talk without coming to blows. But people deserve a fair wage for what they do. But now understand this. The Bible tells us we cannot pervert justice and rob from the rich in order to take care of the poor. But that wasn't the, the way that Isaiah was addressing this. He was saying the rich were defrauding their employees and they were defrauding the poor among them by not taking care of them. And by any stretch of the measure, if you live in the United States or any Western developed country, you are rich compared to the majority world tonight. That's just a fact of life. Immigration matters. Immigration matters. We need secure borders, but also at the same time, immigration matters. All of us in this room tonight, our ancestors came from somewhere, unless you happen to be a Native American. Education matters. Human trafficking matters. And then I just left you some space in the outline for you to add your own ideas. What does God say? I could keep going with this list. So what is justice? I mean, we really need we really need a definition for this. And I could give you a numbers of definitions I've read from a lot of people, but justice is simply doing what is right and righting what is wrong for my neighbor. Justice is doing what is right and righting what is wrong for my neighbor. Now, what I, that's taking a very complicated issue and just trying to put it in one little sentence. By doing what is right, that means how I live every day. If I go to court, if I get drugged into court for something, I want to be sure that I get justice and I'm not having somebody go, well, you know, the color of his skin, his ethnicity, his background, we need to pervert justice on the way to the scales. But at the same time, if I'm guilty, I don't need to be excused because of my background or my color of my skin. Does that make sense? So justice for everyone, red, yellow, black, and white. 
because justice is rooted in the character of God. Why does justice matter to us? Because over and over, the Bible tells us that God is just. God is just. Now, how do we do that? How do we know what's right? Like we always do, if we have a question at Woodland, we always ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about that? And so we have God's Word that informs us about these issues. And then finally tonight, and I don't know how far along I am in time, but God's promise of blessing. And I'll be brief with this, but I want you to see this is powerful. This is how Isaiah 58 closes. And many people will quote the end of Isaiah 58, but they don't go through the first 10 verses or the first uh, nine and a half verses, 10 verses, 10a. They don't go through the whole thing of Isaiah. So what does God tell us will happen to us? When we bless people that are on the margins of life, you know, just think about that, just the margins of life, God tells us we'll be blessed too. Then your salvation will come like the dawn, your wounds will quickly heal, your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your fingers and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from your darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities, and then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interest on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day, and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. And I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promise to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. Isn't that cool? I mean, what incredible promises. Two more quick stories. Some of the police officers from our church, there's not a budget item for this, but they end up helping people with a gift card to a McDonald's or something just to get something to eat. My own wife, just, I just overheard her telling my daughter, we need to pack some more gallon bags. She keeps a box of gallon bags in the back of her car with toiletry items and uh, f- some food cards. We, we, we'd sell those to a program called Script here that helps us with our children's ministry. But we buy them and give them to, to people from our, our family. And so when she sees someone homeless on the street, you know, she'll just pull up and let her, let her window down. And people have cried. They've given her thanks. And and she said she's actually seen people go over and eat the energy bar that she puts down inside of there. You can talk to her about what all's in there. I'm proud of her. I'm proud of those men and women who oftentimes get criticized for trying to protect us, who are unsung heroes in many ways. I'm proud of the lady that I told you about earlier tonight that leads the ministry from our church. I'm proud of our church. We're heavily involved in missions. Every day, children all over the world get to eat because of this church. Every day, children are clothed because of this church. Every day, pastors are being trained in countries that have never been evangelized because of this. I'm so, I say proud, not in a sense of sinful pride, but I'm so grateful for the generosity of this church. So what do we do? Notice how often God mentions Sabbath. Notice how often God mentions Sabbath in Isaiah 58. 
Sabbath is God's gift to us. We rest. Remember I told you we love because God is love. We're merciful because God is merciful. We rest because God rested on the Sabbath. God doesn't get tired, so why did he rest? So that you and I would have an example that one day a week we need to rest and worship and enjoy life together. So just here are some thoughts real quickly, and I'll give them to you real quick. Work and advocate for justice. Study and reflect on what the Bible says about justice. Think godly about race. Let's be colorblind, but let's be color blessed. Let's be blessed by all the races and the ethnicities that go to our church. Let's build community. Let's look. Let's listen. Let's learn. And let's laugh with those on the margins. And let's look and listen and laugh and learn with maybe even those who don't agree with us. They're not Christians, but they care about those on the margin. Ask God how you can be used in your sphere of influence. Earlier today, someone called me and they were talking to me about social capital. And um, I asked them, what do you mean by social capital? And they said, well, I think the way you would say it would be influence. And I understood them as we talked about what they meant by social capital. And evidently, that's a thing among young adults today is using your social capital to, to do good. I would say use your influence to do good. And finally, most importantly, be a witness in word and in deed. Don't just say, God bless you. How can you say that to someone whose stomach is empty, the Bible says? Feed them and say, God bless you. And let me conclude with this statement, and then I'm going to pray for you. We are not going to fix this world. This world is broken. Sin has broken this world. We need to be real about this because nobody needs to walk out with a burden heavier than what God lays upon their heart. This world will be broken until Jesus comes again one day and fixes this world and sets up the eternal kingdom of God. In the meantime, we get the privilege in a broken world of mirroring how God heals and puts back together broken people. Isn't that great? We get to mirror that. I love you. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to give tonight to this project, just simply put in the, in the memo line of when you give online, just put in the memo line, Battered Women. There's a battered women's shelter that we've been partnering with and supporting. We're helping a foundation help them to get some, something they need very much. And if you'll help us with that, I'll assure you everything you give tonight, 100% of it is going to go to help this lady shelter. Becky and I are helping there. I hope that you will too. Let me pray for you this evening. Father, we love you with all of our hearts. We thank you that God, the brokenness of our life, you met us. Some of us, Lord, were broken physically, some of us were broken financially, some of us were broken relationally, but all of us were broken by sin. And through the cross of Jesus Christ, who atoned for us, he not only saved us from our sins, saved us from our sicknesses, and mended our broken hearts and gave us new ones. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us tonight.